Welcome to this episode of the Business of Security podcast. I'm your host, Josh Bruning, and our guest today is Eric Olden, who is the CEO of Strata. Strata is a identity and identity orchestration platform. And, you know, I can go on and on about identity orchestration, but we've got the expert on the line, and so I won't try to butcher it. In addition to talking a little bit about identity orchestration, which, you know, as I mentioned, that's in Eric's wheelhouse, we would like to talk about return on security investment. I know, I know, we've talked about this many times before, but we're going to frame it a little bit differently today. Instead of talking about purely ROI, let's talk about the cost of not implementing security, the cost of not doing security. And so there's a term that we were talking about before we started rolling, Eric, and I kind of want, I like the way that you, that you put it, which was um, move and improve instead of fill in the blank. Lifting and shifting, because that always, almost always means you're just moving your mess. So we're lifting and shifting. Instead of lifting and shifting, we're moving and improving. And we're talking about the cost of not doing business. And what are those two concepts have in common? So what are the concepts of lifting and shifting, not lifting and shifting, and improving? What are, now, my, now my head's all, my head's all twisted up. Moving and improving instead of lifting and shifting, what does that have in common with ROI or the way that we're phrasing it? What does that have in common with the cost of not doing security? Well, great. First of all, thanks for having me on, Josh. It's uh, great to, to reconnect. Um, but to pick up what we were talking about, I think, you know, often people in most recent last five years or so have been really trying to move to the cloud. And they have a whole lot of reasons to do that. And, you know, especially larger organizations that have a big IT footprint. And so they're thinking, okay, we want to go to the cloud. What's holding us back? And they may be wanting to go to the cloud for all sorts of reasons. They want to use some new technology. They want to have better performance, better costs, better security, all the above. And what happens in a lot of situations when people say, well, we're just trying to move our existing workloads or apps. We just want to move them from on-prem in our data center over to Azure or to Microsoft or to Google. And in order to do that, there's a lot of tools that will like mostly virtualization that you can take the virtual machine that runs your app and move it from one uh, place to another. But if that application is uh, been around for a while and you have maybe some security and identity technology that worked really good. Maybe it was state of the art 10 years ago, but if you look at where it compares to what's out available in the cloud today, um, probably not nearly as capable. And so you're in this situation that if you just move your on-premises identity stuff with those applications, now you've just moved this legacy identity infrastructure and the only real change you're gonna see in the application might be that it runs in a different location and maybe you've got a, a lower cost. What's not 
uh, done at that point. And, and a lot of people, we jokingly call that moving your mess, right? You didn't clean it up. You just say, hey, let's just put it in another place. And there's an opportunity though, because when you're in this process of moving things, you've got to plan a, a transition plan anyways. And so this is a great opportunity to improve the security of the application. And doing that by maybe upgrading to some cloud identity system or uh, also in, in using passwordless multi-factor authentication and maybe you know putting in more sophisticated uh, identity threat detection and response. So a lot of different things that are new and improved in the cloud, but you if you don't, use this as an opportunity to upgrade all of those systems, then you're really just not taking advantage of this cloud migration in the first place. And so, you know, a lot of times the people say, well, why don't, that sounds good, let's do that. Why don't you just, you know, magically get everything upgraded? Well, the cost to do that, that goes to the heart of that question, right? What is it, um, what does it cost by not having the new security? Well, a couple of things we see a lot with our customers. One is that they're paying really outdated uh, maintenance and support for products that have been end of life. So it's really expensive to use software that's not current. Um, it's also very expensive to run all these servers, right? If you're using um, virtual machines to run on-prem software, in a cloud, you're paying for all that infrastructure that adds up. And then you got to have the people to manage it. And those are hard to find and they're expensive. And then there's all sorts of um, work that goes involved to, if you do want to upgrade, that you got to integrate these passwordless things by hand. You have to write custom code. And many ways, it's like changing the locks on the doors of all of your application. And if you've got hundreds of applications, it's like changing all the locks on the doors of a really big hotel. And that's going to take a long time. So these are the kind of things that you can you can avoid if when you move to the cloud, you use um, something like an identity orchestration layer, which is an abstraction layer that gets to basically make the application naive to the fact that it's now running in a different location and using different identity technology. So um, it's a real powerful way to avoid those costs of um, vulnerability because you're using new identity. You can avoid the cost to uh, run your infrastructure because you're using identity delivered as a service from Okta or from Microsoft or whoever. And you're getting the latest and greatest technology because it's cloud delivered, always on the latest version. And then lastly, you can do it without rewriting your applications. You don't have to change the locks. So that's been a really interesting conversation we've been having with organizations lately. So we've gone sort of beyond just, we've know, we know what the, what the cost is for not doing security period, right? If you don't have security, you're gonna have all these breaches and all that stuff. And we've been trying to quantify that for a long time, but what we're doing, if I'm hearing you correctly, is that we're honing in on what is the cost of not improving your security or streamlining your security. And so 
maybe my next question is going to be a little simplistic for our sophisticated audience, but I'm going to ask it anyways. How should a CISO or CIO, head of security, go about quantifying the cost of not improving their cybersecurity um, tool set or um, everything that you just outlined? What is, do, should they just take pen and paper and say, well, if we don't, here's our budget for this year. And if we do not implement this set of tools or we don't do things this way, here's the spread between the way we're doing it now and the way that we could be doing it. This is how much we're saving and deliver that to the CFO. Is that a, a wise strategy? Or if not, how should they go about quantifying the cost of not improving their cybersecurity? Yeah, that's a, that's a very pragmatic approach. Um, and I think, a lot of what you'll see when you do that, kind of like a line item budget comparison. You say, you know, for these areas of security and identity, this is what we spend today where it is. And then you're gonna do the same, but this is what it costs when it's delivered in the cloud. And so I think you can look at the cost of the technology, the cost of the people, and the cost in time as well as dollars. And so um, doing an inventory of everything, that's a great place to start. And then you realize what you do need to consider when you move things. It's usually more complex than you think in the beginning. It's mm -hmm. like an iceberg. The stuff that you see above the waterline is a fraction of what is below that waterline. So I think that's a good place to start. And then another thing to think about is the um, there's some things that organizations have to pay from an operations standpoint. Insurance comes to mind. And we've been seeing cyber insurance a lot recently where in order to get even a premium to get covered, cyber coverage for ransomware, they require now to have deployed in proof that you've deployed multi-factor authentication. And it was for a while, you're just going to pay a lot more for your insurance if you have passwords. Now it's gotten to the point where if you don't have multi-factor authentication security, you're not going to get it. You're not going to get coverage. So mm. that then opens up that risk discussion of, well, what is the downside business risk if we don't have insurance? And what is the cost to um, qualify for a premium and then you're looking at your cost to get passwordless authentication and, and multi-factor in place. So there's some very discrete, concrete world, part of the world where you can figure out by looking at your quotes, your insurance quotes, what it's gonna cost. So it's not just the work in the technology, but also other adjacent operational costs to think about. Yeah, what kind of conversations are you guys having over at Strata, Strata? to improve ROI? And what are those conversations looking, looking like when you engage the business? Well, one thing that we've done is make a big investment in third-party research. And we've been working with the analyst firm Forrester, and we hired them to come talk to a bunch of our customers. And so it's not coming from the vendor, but it's coming from a third party who's impartial. 
And they've been doing these interviews with the stakeholders and figuring out not only what is the quantifiable, but the qualitative uh, things as well. And so you can get this uh, total economic impact report from our website at strata.io. Um, I think it's going to be live in um, September, but they have done a really interesting, I've seen the previews of it, and it's really interesting their approach to how they understand the total economic impact. So um, I think that's a good place for any of the audience. If you want to go see the framework in a forester study, you can apply to a lot of different things, right? And so I think that um, having a framework to measure things like a scorecard or a, a model to say, hey, here's what we do. How does it compare to what others are doing? Those kind of models are, are really uh, helpful, we find. In the identity orchestration space, what is okay, – actually, let's just back up for a second and explain in maybe like a minute or so what is identity orchestration? And how is it implemented in the organization today? Sure. So identity orchestration is a new category of identity management software. And it's middleware that you use to connect and integrate and automate different identity things like converged identity services across multiple clouds and multiple identity providers. So that's a lot of words there. So to kind of unpack it a little bit, um, think about what the computing world went through when the cloud came around and people were using technologies like virtualization and then Docker and Kubernetes. Well, you have a lot of these different places where you're computing and tools like Kubernetes is a way to orchestrate your compute to be able to be dynamic and keep up with the changing way and changing demand in your business. Similarly, in uh, infrastructure, you had um, Terraform that would automate all of the provisioning and management of all of the different servers and network and all the other infrastructure that you need to run your cloud. Well, in the identity world, you have a similar complex world of a lot of vendors and a lot of things and what identity orchestration does is it creates a similar kind of automation by integrating with all of the infrastructure you have to make it easy to connect identities and applications and users. So that kind of um, abstraction layer is what allows you to uh, move your applications onto the abstraction layer and then point your identity from the old stuff on-prem to the new stuff in the cloud and do that without rewriting the application. So when you engage a client or a customer, and um, I'm guessing that you guys are focusing mostly on enterprise uh, customers. Yeah. So what are you hearing from them? Like what is their, what is, what is their, roadblock or their challenge in demonstrating the ROI? Because we know that there are two steps when you're selling software, right? You have to sell it to the client and the client then has to sell it to the business, right? And so that sort of is the theme in security. You're, we're always selling security, whether you're selling a product or you're internal trying to sell it to the business. Um, how do you help 
your customers sell the idea of identity orchestration in terms of ROI to the business? What are some of like the questions that come up regularly or some of the objections that come up from, uh, from customers? Well, I think the very common, it's a new category. So very common question people have is, what is this orchestration stuff anyways? Like, I don't understand it. What is it? Before someone's going to buy something, they need to understand what it is that they're buying, right? And the next question is, what is it going to do for me? And why should I care? So we like to flip that around and say, well, let's talk about the problems that you have. And what are the number one, two, and three problems that you have, customer? And they may come back and say, well, our biggest pain is, and increasingly we hear people say that they're trying to move and modernize their applications, but they can't because they're uh, locked into some old vendor. And so in that situation, we say, well, if what you're trying to do is to decouple from the legacy and reintegrate with the modern, um, that's something that we can help you with. And then often they say, well, can you do it without rewriting the app? Because that's what we're doing today. And then we say, no, you never have to change your application to do this. You don't have to write to an API. The app doesn't even know it's happening. Then they say, well, that sounds too good to be true. And that's the whole point of saying, well, look, let us show you, not tell you. Then we do a demonstration of it and say, look, we can show it to you in like three minutes. And importantly, let you do it yourself. And so you get to go into the product, customers do it themselves, and they can do all of this without having to talk to anybody at uh, Strata, but no pushy salesperson saying, when are you going to buy? It's all designed so you can buy it and not be, have it sold to you. And so a lot of that kind of proof and confidence that people have is that they realize, yeah, this is working. This I saw it myself. That gives them the confidence to turn around to leadership and say, look, we have 3,000 applications. It's going to take us like 500 years of work to move them. And we found this technology that allows us to do it in an afternoon. And it really works. We already seen it. Here's a proof of concept. And then they do the math and they say, geez, this is going to really help our business. Let's start with a little. And we always encourage, start with one or two. Don't try and do them all. And then once you get one or two done, you say, oh, that was easy. Let me add three and four. And over time, you use what you need. And that's kind of a nice thing about consumption models is you don't need to to buy it all at once, you just pay for what you use. And so uh, we found that's a really nice way to get people to, you know, use what they want and what they need and no more. So that's mm -hmm. how we do it. So it's almost like you're not almost, it sounds like it's exactly like this. Like you're trying to reduce, you're trying to improve ROI, not just by implementing, but just at the beginning of the sales process. It sounds like because to invest in product, just to invest time in doing, you know, sitting through the demo, testing out the product, going through, you know, even at TrustMap, we try to make that as short as possible, you know, get into the product, start producing assessments, getting data right away. Um, the faster that you can do that for your customers, 
the greater the ROI. So it's not just the ROI of improving the product by implementing it. And, you know, in your case, reducing the, um, the complexities of, of managing all these applications and the identity across all those applications. And for us, it's managing your maturity assessments and reporting. It starts at the beginning. It really starts, and, and I think that CISOs and, and businesses can sniff out, you know, what tool is going to waste their time and is going to cost them more <laughs> rather than cost them less, depending on how the interaction even just, like, begins, how you initiate that interaction. It does. Is that a fair? Right. Okay. You're right. It starts at the very top and starts in the beginning. And, you know, we like to think of like uh, empathy. And, you know, when you can put yourself in someone else's um, shoes, now you realize what the world looks like. And so we spend a lot of time trying to understand um, before we're understood. And I think I learned that at church sometime when I was a kid, right? But it's still true, fast forward to where it is. And I think that works really well because if you're interest is in selling something, it's going to come through. And if your interest is in helping somebody authentically, it's going to come through as well. And it's not pushy. It's more like, oh, okay, well, if you need any help, let me know how I could be helpful. I'm really good at, you know, that, this type of problem. And if you have that problem, let me know. That kind of approach is a lot more interesting. That's the way I would want to be working with somebody. You know what I mean? And mm -hmm. I think oftentimes people in a sales role, they think of like almost dehumanizes it where, oh, it's a prospect, it's a meeting, it's a call, it's an MQL, an SQL. And once you're referring to humans as acronyms, then you're, that's hard to yeah. be empathetic, right? Mm -hmm. So I think you, you move away from that and say, look, let's get back. What's the person on the other end here? Um, what are they what do they care about? And let's find that out. And then if there's a way we can help them, let's explain that. If we're not a fit, just say, hey, wish, wish you all the best. And if you, you know, there's no harm, no foul. So mm -hmm. that's, that's how it generally starts in my experience. And once you're now in a relevant conversation, we like to just let people see what they want to see. Don't have to, you know, ask them for an email to download something. Just let them get smarter because guess what? They're going to be under control of their decision. It's not going to be the outside person saying, oh, I have a deadline internally. I want you to sign this contract that customers don't care about the sales team's world, right? They're naturally humanly self-interested. So don't make it ever about the vendor. Always make it about the customer. And so I find holding integrity and doing it in the long relationship, that team seems to work a whole lot better than trying to push a transaction through, which never feels mm -hmm. right to me. Yeah, it's never good. It's never good to be, it, it's, it's always good to reduce the friction and to put the customer first and realize that they're people. I mean, we should, it's, it sounds very basic. Like you said, you learn it in church, but we have to remind ourselves of that. And, um, you know, I it sounds so this the title of this show I'm realizing is evolving as we as we talk. So ROI, not just ROI, how to improve ROI 
and how to improve ROI from the beginning, right? And then how to quantify that to the business. And I, I really wish that somebody would like take away from this. And maybe there's a CISO out there that's taking pen to paper and is talking about all all the hours they're saving from the beginning of an, an engagement all the way through um, implementation, all the way through end of life. How much time did I save? You know, what did I lower my pre my insurance premium? Did I did we avoid fines? You know, what kinds of fines did we avoid by implementing this this product or this this service? Do that for every service and every product, and that is sort of a way to quantify the totality of your security program, right? So it's like a Russian nesting doll. Everything you're saying can be, you know, it's like every engagement and every hour you spend on security can fit into every other activity that you're doing in security, if that makes sense. So this is a powerful thing. And we talk about, we talk about ROI, but realistically, cybersecurity is a cost center, right? It costs money to do cybersecurity, but the myth is that, okay, if it's costing, then that means it's not making money. But here, I, I believe in a penny saved is a penny earned. And so if you're listening to this and this kind of helps, and you know, if you've run through this exercise of tallying up all of your cost savings, the way that we've sort of outlined in the show, Shoot us an email, shoot us a comment, shoot us a message, and let us know if that, if that helps. Um, being able to quantify your ROI has always been a struggle in the cybersecurity community. And I think what we've done in this show is lay the, br the blueprint for a way that, that CISOs, security heads, can systematically quantify how much they're saving by doing security and doing it you know, from the, the overall program level also all the way down to the, the, the tool level. All right, I'll get off my soapbox. What do I know? Eric, is there anything else before we wrap up this episode that you'd like to get out there? Well, you know, I thank you, first of all, for uh, having me on again. And um, I think in terms of uh, from the audience standpoint, you know, if you're interested in learning more about identity orchestration, we'd love to have you visit our website. It's at strata.io. And one of the fun things we've been doing is we call it the identity orchestration use case challenge. So rolls off the tongue, but it's a lot of fun because a lot of times people are not clear on what you can do with identity orchestration. So what we have is a form on our website where if you submit a use case that you think is a real thorny problem or you haven't been able to figure out how you would solve it yourself, uh, what we'll do is we'll solve it using orchestration and we'll demonstrate it to you. And if you send that in, we'll give you a pair of the Apple Ear AirPod Pros. So the fancy white ones that go in your ear and, um, you know, we've been having a lot of fun doing it. We've not been stumped yet. So um, if you're interested in sending us a use case, go to strata.io slash podcast. And you can find me on LinkedIn. It's linkedin.com slash Josh Bruning. I'm also active on Twitter. And you can also find me on Instagram, you know, but that's, that's not strictly for the show but it's, it's family friendly and I post some, um, some interesting stuff on there. So Eric, 
thank you so much for oh actually I, I should I forgot almost forgot we should also plug the um our YouTube channel so now you can find the business of security podcast on YouTube and don't forget to like and subscribe you can also find us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify wherever you you get your podcasts Eric Olden thank you so much for coming on the show and I look forward to the next time we have these conversations thanks again wonderful time be well and thank you for watching or or for listening bye